Section eight of Members of the Family by Owen Wister. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter six Extra Dry Mile high in space circled a dark speck, a Mexican eagle alone in the empty sky. He was looking down upon four hundred square miles of Arizona sand called Repose Valley. He saw clots of cactus, thickets of mesquite, stunt oak bush, and white skeletons of cattle, but not a thing to eat. He also saw Aaron Tace, the shell-game man, in a Mexican hat. He saw also a man who, drifting lately to Tucson, had said his name was Belleville, but somebody in Tucson had pronounced this bellyful. It was then vain to insist upon any other pronunciation. Up in the sky sailed the eagle. Along the desert road Aaron Tace was slowly riding, and on the ground lay bellyful near where the road forked to the mines. Aaron was going to push route. In that town a fiesta was being held. Horses raced, liquors drunk, ladies courted, cards dealt silver and gold lost by many and won by few all to music bellyful was bound presently for pushroot too now he lay off the road under some mesquite thinking while aaron approached made of thorns slender rods and gauze foliage bellyful's bushes cast little more shade than mosquito nets but they cast all the shade there was he was resting his starved, weak horse, whose legs must somehow walk the five more miles to push root. He himself, with scant breakfast inside, had led the horse to the thin shade. The poor beast stood over him. Now and then Bellyful reached up and stroked its nose. At sunrise the softened mountains had glowed like jewels, or ripe nectarines, or wine cooling shadows had flowed from them upon the valley. Later morning had changed these peaks to gray-hot teeth and the sand to a gray-hot floor. The horse rested, Aaron Tace was half a mile nearer, the eagle sailed, and Bellyful lay thinking of his luck. He had known none in fifteen months. Misfortune bulged from the seams of his shirt and trousers and boots. Of his gold watch, his two pens, his ring, his sundry small possessions, only his gun remained. He could not pawn the seat of life. He had been earning and spending easily when the first illness that he had ever known put him to bed and almost in his grave. Coming back to strength, he found hard times. No one, no railroad, ranch, restaurant, saloon, stage company, nothing had employment for him he had sought it from san marcial over in new mexico westward to yuma hundreds of miles he had parted early with his real name on a freight train at bowie the conductor found him stealing a ride and kicked him off calling him a hobo the epithet hurt worse than the kick in fact hiding on the brake beam under another car for in spite of the conductor he carried out his plan of riding free to Wilcox, 
he shed tears, the bitter tears of pride departing. He was a hobo. By the time he reached Wilcox, Belleville was his name. No tramp should be called what his mother had named him. Such his life had been. Dust, thirst, hunger, repulse, and onward to more. Existence shook her head at him with a changeless no. Latterly, in Tucson, a pretty woman had shown him kindness, which she should not, since he was not her husband, and she had one. She fell in love with the April bloom of his years, and with his hard luck, and this was the single instance of human interest in him which had touched his life in fifteen months. It lay light upon his roving conscience, was nothing but joy and pride to him, but his code forbade continued acceptance of her money that there seemed no chance to repay. Quitting Tucson, he took from her, as a final loan, enough to buy a wretched horse with a trifle over. If none in push root would employ him, the mines were left. If these should fail, then he would have knocked at the door of every trade in Arizona except robbery, which was undoubtedly the territory's chief industry. Bellyful slid down a hand to his pocket's bottom. One by one he fingered seven coins therein, his whole fortune, in fractional currency. It summed up to a dollar and four bits. He drew out the coins and attentively read their dates. These he already knew. He was not thinking of the coins, but of the universe, and how successfully it resisted explanation. A voice stopped him. Aaron Tace was nearly opposite his clump of mesquite. The shell-game man was talking to himself. "'Remember, gentlemen, the hand is quicker than the eye.' This he said over and over, while his hands were ceaselessly moving. Bellyful rose with astonishment and stared. Aaron Tace could easily have seen him, but was too busy. He was making quick turns and passes, and talking the while. "'Remember, gentlemen, the hand is quicker than the eye.' Nothing but that, while his hands paused, shuffled, and paused again. "'Remember, gentlemen,' it was like a player polishing his lines. Aaron rehearsed all the tones that express complete candor and friendly warning, with a touch of dare you to try it thrown in. The reins hung on the horse's neck. Fitted to the saddle-horn, a very neat piece of work, was a smooth wooden tray, and upon this three walnut shells in a line. These Aaron Tace would shift from right to left and back, or half-back, exchanging their position, sliding them among each other, lifting them up and setting them down, a pretty thing to see. Only one slip he made, due to a stumble of his horse. The little pebble, or pea, which the shifted shells concealed by turns to allure the bets of onlookers, rolled to the ground. Aaron sprang off limberly, found it, and was on again, busily rehearsing while his horse walked onward. He had now passed by, and a rock hid him from view, 
but for a long time still Bellyful could hear the rising and falling cadence of his Remember, gentlemen, the hand is quicker than the eye, even after the syllables ceased to be distinguishable. Thus Aaron proceeded toward the push-root fiesta, happy and busy, until his distant cadences died away. "'Well, I'll be damned,' said Bellyful. For perhaps an hour he lay, looking upward through the filmy mesquite, himself a piece of the vast silence. But this new light on the shell-game helped little to render the universe more susceptible of explanation. By and by he took his slow way along the road, and nothing living was left at the forks. Far in the huge blue hot sky the eagle sailed, hunting his prey. Bellyful found the town of Pushroot full of good nature. Indeed, there was more good nature than town. It spilled over the edges in strains of music, strains of language, and gentlemen overcome in the brush. But it was beyond the livery stable's good nature to trust any such looking owner of any such looking horse. Bellyful paid in advance. He inquired for employment at the stage office, the hardware store, the other store, the Palace Hotel, the other hotel, the Can-Can restaurant, the fashion saloon, the four other saloons, and the three private houses. These were locked because their owners were out, practicing good nature. That finished it. There was no employment here. The horse could never make the mines without two meals and a night's rest, paid for already. No duty now hindered Bellyful from being good-natured himself. He still had three coins of slight importance to do with, and his absent-minded fingers rubbed them over in his pocket. Pushroot teemed with strangers from ranch and mine, wandering joyously between drinks in search of new games. Through the many sounds, Aaron's voice held its own, and reached Bellyful, waking his brooding mind, which had long forgotten Aaron. Some games he knew about, but this one had hitherto not been closely studied by him. Was the eye always slower than the hand? Practice makes perfect, but... With this dawn of scientific doubt, Bellyful stood looking at the cluster of patrons, which screened Aaron, where he shuffled his three walnut shells and chanted his, Remember, gentlemen! A disordered-looking patron now emerged from the group, perceived Bellyful, lurched toward him, leaned against him confidingly, and remarked with tears, Say, are you married? I am. Some people are fools all the time. I am. All people are fools some of the time. I am. And when I get home, I'll get hell. He untied an old horse and rode desolately out of town. Through the air, like a call, came Aaron's jaunty voice. Bellyful joined the patrons at once. Aaron shot over him a travelled measuring eye of which the not untravelled Bellyful took prompt note. He stood in the front row, staring with as simple an expression as he could command, 
slowly fumbling the poor little coins in his pocket. Soon the man next him won three dollars on a dime. Bellyful came near whistling, but repressed it in order to maintain his simple expression. Thirty to one! This game paid thirty to one! And the dawn of scientific doubt grew lighter. Try yourn! This suggestion somebody made to a youth of prosperous appearance with an English neatness and a cap and waistcoat of the horse-stable variety. Thanks, no, you know, seen it with thimbles at home, you know. None present was aware that this accent had been heard in no part of the British Isles at any time. Yet, after a look at him, bellyful scientific doubt dawned a trifle clearer. Win three dollars? cried an astonished freighter. Remember, gentlemen, the hand is quicker than the eye, said Aaron instantly. He shuffled his shells. The freighter's hairy fist made a jeans dive. This well-known reach for money in the pants is composed of two gestures. The hand shoots down into the pocket, while the head tilts skyward. It is common where hay grows, and often foretells that the owner and his money will soon be parted. Bellyful now forgot all about his empty stomach. The freighter touched a shell, put down five cents, and won a dollar and a half. Me God! exclaimed British Isles. He risks a quarter and lost. Ah, oh, now, he lamented, good-bye all. They rallied him, chaffed him, told him to come back and be a man. So, not to shame old England in a foreign country, as he explained, he doubled his quarter and lost again. Remember, gentlemen, chanted Aaron, the hand is quicker than the eye. He shuffled the shells straight at the freighter, as if he were making love to him. The freighter's eyes bulged. He dredged from his pocket a sort of bun of bills, greasy old rags pressed to a lump, gazed at them, touched them, smoothed them, and at last, amid general laughter, shoved them lingeringly back into his jeans. But his eyes seemed unrestful, and he mopped his brow. "'She's here!' bet British Isles, touching a shell. "'Take you!' said Aaron. British Isles put a dollar down. The pea was under the shell. Everybody saw the thirty dollars paid to British Isles. Aaron shuffled his shells anew. She's there, thundered the freighter. His hand shot down, his head tilted up, and out came the bun again. A neighbor moved a gentle elbow against the freighter's ribs and silently indicated another shell. In his excitement, Bellyful now nearly forgot to keep looking innocent. The dawn of scientific doubt showed signs of sunrise. If this freighter should lose, all would be known to Bellyful, but one last detail. If the freighter should win, why, then a splendid theory went up in smoke. The neighbor pushed a little harder with his elbow. This time the freighter felt it. He backed away from the neighbor with glaring indignation. "'Oh, no, young man!' he exclaimed loudly. "'Keep your tips for greenhorns that ain't on to this game.' 
He flayed twenty dollars off his bun. " She's under there," he declared, tapping his own shell again. "Take you," said Aaron. He lifted the shell. No pea was there. "Aw," commented British Isles, sympathetically. "Come again, sir. You'll be apt to swat him next time." But the unhappy freighter stood still in an ox like bewilderment, turning large, rueful eyes now upon the shuffling shells and now upon the neighbor, whose lip curled with a cold, wise smile. Scientific doubt was rosy everywhere. Full knowledge might break at any minute. Bellyful knew now that the freighter was too innocent to be true, that he was in it with Aaron, in it with British Isles, that the three of them had a united eye upon some fat quarry, and were playing a game to bag him. Who was it? Bellyful looked at every man. "'Are you on yet?' whispered the neighbor, edging up. While the bets and shuffling went on, he whispered wisdom behind his hand to Bellyful. Aaron won steadily in a small way till a lull in business came. This he cured by losing sixty well-timed dollars to British Isles. Small business picked up at once. Some people are fools all the time. All people are fools some of the time. But when was that fat quarry coming? Every little while the neighbor dropped more expert wisdom into Bellyful's ear. A bad thing, he whispered, ever to take your eye off the shells. While that hayseed freighter was looking at the sky just now, the shells had been changed round. Hard to prove it, too, even if you thought you saw it. Best way of all was keep your hand on the shell you bet on. Don't let him move it, and talk, for even if the pea was under it, he could get it away. He'd never let you win if he didn't want you to. Keep your hand on your shell. Hmm, answered Bellyful. Here's the real trick, continued the expert neighbor. He shuffles till he sees by your eye you spotted a shell. Maybe he leads you on to spot a shell by playing awkward, and he claps down the shell. Hmm, responded Bellyful again. No, I hadn't finished, explained the expert. Of course, the pea is not under that shell. Where is it? Nestling in his little right finger. Some of em is both-handed and can work two peas. So, when you bet, no pea is under any shell. You're bound to lose, see? And see how he holds his shells with them two end fingers crooked in, and how he stoops over em close to the edge of the table now and then. Hmm, unchangeably remarked Bellyful. Yes, but you ain't watching, complained the expert. When he scrapes a shell close to the edge, that's when the pea's liable to tumble into his little finger. I'm going after him in a minute. A flash came into Bellyful's eye. He turned his head for one look at the expert. It satisfied him. I guess you're catching on now, said the expert. There, the pea's in his finger. Watch me. Bellyful watched. The expert had gold pieces, plenty of them, all sizes. He put down five dollars. I'll pick up, he said, the two shells the pea's not under. 
take you," said Aaron. The expert quickly picked up two shells, but the pea was under one of them. " You win," said Aaron instantly, and instantly caught up all three shells and shuffled them. One hundred and fifty dollars to the expert, though he had really lost. " See what that means," he whispered to Bellyful. " He paid me not to expose him." " H'm," replied Bellyful. " Watch me again," urged the expert. Indeed, Bellyful did. Scientific doubt was over. The full sun had risen. Once more the shuffled shells came to rest, enticing bets, when violent voices arose off to the left. Aaron quite — oh, quite — forgot, and looked away to see what the noise was. The freighter quickly lifted a shell. The pea was there. He clapped the shell down. " Put your hand on that, young man," he commanded. " She's there," he shouted to Aaron, whose eye had now come back. The disturbance had been some brief trouble between British Isles and a man near him. It was quieted. The freighter bet the rest of his money — that large bun. The expert, with his hand on the shell, bet all his gold. It made several stacks. " Take you," said Aaron. The pea wasn't beneath the shell. " Too bad, gentlemen," said Aaron, gathering promptly all the money and the shells and shoveling everything into his pocket. " Well, I told you the hand was quicker than the eye. Good by. Better luck next time." He nodded kindly and was gone. The game was done, the patrons dispersed. British Isles and the freighter no longer to be seen, everybody melted away among the wagons, the horses, the people, the sounds, the shows, the music of the general fiesta. On the deserted spot stood the expert and Bellyful, looking at each other. " What are you trembling about ?" demanded the expert sharply. " I don't know," said Bellyful. He didn't know. " Five hundred and thirty five dollars," muttered the expert hoarsely. " That freighter got the pea out when he scraped that shell down." " They were all three laying for you from the start," said Bellyful. He couldn't stop trembling. Perhaps it was want of food. " Five hundred and thirty five dollars," wailed the expert. After that he, too, melted away. Five miles out of Push Root, where the road forks to the mines, nothing had changed except the name of the day. Repose Valley had not aged in twenty four hours. It may be doubted if Repose Valley could have looked older in twenty four million hours. Its sand was hot and gray, its mountains were hot and gray, its sunlight glared like a curse. No breeze, no water, no shade. Gauze mesquite, stiff cactus, white cattle bones, four hundred square miles of this, quite as usual. It might just as well have been yesterday, but for its name. All the days of the week here might have sat for each other's photographs. Only the Creator could have told them apart. Up in the blue air sailed the eagle. 
Evidently he must find meals in Repose Valley, else he wouldn't be here, sailing and watching. He saw the same horse and the same bellyful, resting beneath the same mesquite. He saw also, away off, the same Aaron riding slowly along the road toward the forks. Only this morning Aaron was coming from Push Root instead of going to it. This proved it wasn't yesterday. Aaron had out his practice table, and his hands were industrious. Again Bellyful lay thinking. His horse was better for the hay and corn and eighteen hours of rest, but the mines were further than push route, and he must get there. There was nowhere else left to get except out. As he lay under the mesquite, Bellyful made one gesture. He shook his fist at the sky. They might put him out, but he wouldn't get out. It might be said that the only difference between the bellyful of yesterday and him of today was the difference of one dollar and four bits. He had nothing now in his pocket. Those last coins had paid for what food they could buy him. But there was another difference. It had been wrought during the night hours wrought while he lay in the stable unable to sleep, possibly wrought also even in the sleep he had at length fell into just before daylight. For while he slept his heart went on beating, of course, and what was his soul doing? After his single gesture he lay under the mesquite motionless, gazing up through the filmy branches, quiet as a stone, deep sunk in the heart of Repose Valley silence. Stretched so, still beneath the same mesquite, he looked as if he had been there since yesterday, as if in all the tomorrows he might be there, keeping the cattle-bones company. But the whole boy, every inch of flesh and spirit, was alive, very much alive, not at all in a moderate, everyday fashion. In fact, Bellyful was a powder magazine, needing nothing but a match. Existence had shaken her head at him once too often. He didn't suspect his own state until the match was applied. Aaron's approaching voice reached him. Even the eagle, a mile up in the air, stopped hunting to witness the sudden proceedings. Bellyful leaped to his feet looked at the rock which blocked him and his horse from Aaron's view, moved the passive beast a few paces back, looked at the rock again, was satisfied, ran like wild game behind the rock, and waited. His pistol was always in excellent order, a clean, polished, incongruous gleam to flash forth from such a rusty scarecrow. The talking Aaron came along, happy and busy. His head bent over his shuffled shells, the rise and fall of his cadences grew clearer, the sounds began to take to themselves syllables. First uh, hand and eye came out distinct, then the links between filled in, and the whole sentence rang perfect through the unstirred air. Remember, gentlemen, the hand is quicker than the eye. Such rehearsals as this must have helped many a monotonous journey to pass pleasantly for Aaron, not to speak of placing him in the foremost ranks of art. 
Remember, gentlemen, the hand is quicker than the eye. Not this morning. The shells smashed in Aaron's horrified grasp. The little pea rolled to the ground. Going to the mines, pursued Bellyful. All his words were sweet and dreadful. Then Aaron saw behind the pistol who it was. That kid a road agent, he thought. Why didn't I spot him yesterday? And he blamed his own blindness, miserably and quite unjustly, because how could he know that Bellyful had only become a road agent in the last ten minutes? Strip, said Bellyful. Aaron was slow about it. A flash, a smoke, and a hole through Aaron's Mexican hat cleared every doubt. You're mature, I see, remarked Aaron, and offered his unbuckled pistol. The other one now, commanded Bellyful. This was a guess, but a correct one. Leave em both drop down. Both dropped down. Go on, strippin. The money followed, a good deal of it, and Aaron made a gesture of emptiness. That all? Yes, indeed, young man. Then I want the rest of it. You've got the rest. You've got the whole. The game ain't what it used to be, and I have partners. They—I'll partner you. Get down. Get down. Quick. Evidently a compromise was the very most a poor shell game man in this hapless crisis could hope for. Aaron got down and addressed the road agent. See here, Bo, he began, you and me oughtn't to be hostile. In our trade we can't afford it. You and me's brothers. Don't you call me brother. I don't lie. I say, hand it over, and folks ain't deceived. I'm an outlaw, and maybe my life is forfeit. But you pretend you're an honest man, and that your dirty game is square. Throw it all down, or I'll tear it out of you. Aaron threw it all down. Then he was allowed to go his ways, seeking more fools to cheat. Up in the air the eagle sailed. He was still looking down upon clots of cactus, thickets of mesquite, and skeletons of cattle. He also saw a horseman going slowly one way, and a horseman going slowly the other. In time many miles lay between them, and the forks of the road were as silent and empty of motion as the rest of Repose Valley. To me, listening, Scipio Lemoyne narrated the foregoing anecdote while he lay in hospital, badly crumpled up by a bad horse. Upon the day following I brought him my written version. Mm, yes, he said musingly when I had finished reading it to him, that happened eight years ago. You've told it about correct as to facts. What's wrong then? Oh, I ain't competent to pass on your language. The facts are correct. What are you looking at me about? Well, the ending. Ending? Well, I don't like the way Bellyful just went off and prospered and... But he did. And never felt sorry or... But he didn't. Well, 
Do you claim he oughtn't? Think of him. Will you please to think of him after the shell game? He begging honest work and denied all over everywhere, till his hat and his clothes and his boots were in holes, and his body was pretty near in holes. Think of him, just a kind of hollow vessel of hunger, lying in that stable, while the shell-game cheat goes off with his pockets full of gold. Scipio spoke with heat. Yes, I know, but if Bellyful afterward could only feel sorry and try— Are you figuring to fix that up? He was still hotter. Because I forbid you to monkey with the truth. Because I never was sorry. What? I was bellyful, said Scipio, becoming quiet. Yes, that was eight years ago. He mused still more. His eyes grew wistful. I was nineteen then. God, what good times I have had! End of chapter 6